I do want to share with you a wonderful, wonderful quote. I don't like to read a lot, but um, a marvelous quote that I'll probably read twice. I'll try to contain my excitement because it's not quite 6.30. About how, here we are, and I bet, I bet that you're a little bit sick of conditions right now. Have you had the feeling at any point that you wish that we could get back to real life again? Ordinary life in just a little bit. You felt kind of constrained or lonely or tired of the endlessness of it and not knowing when you're going to get vaccinated or when things are going to be safe, safe, a little bit safer. And so there's this pining inside. Sometimes it feels like pining. Sometimes it just feels like fatigue. Sometimes it just feels like, like a kind of depression the sameness and repetition of our lives being separate from one another. So I found this quote by um, William James, William James, the great psychologist and philosopher and brother of Henry James, uh, the novelist. And the quote is, I'm done with great things. I'm done with great things and big things and great institutions and big successes. I'm for tiny, invisible, molecular, moral forces that work from individual to individual, creeping through the crannies of the world, like so many roots, like capillaries that ooze water, that give, given time will break down the rockiest formation. I left the quote in that last part. But if we think of this, and this is something that you would feel if you were in a monastery or in a retreat, this feeling at a moment of completely giving up. I give up. There will be no escape and no comfort. And in that moment, as bleak as it feels, it can occur to you, or not even to your mind, but to something inside your body or your heart to just soften and focus on these little tiny moments that it might occur to you that you could just be real. That's it. You could just focus on being real. So since it's a winter night, I thought 
I would tell you a micro story. So you can just relax a bit and not feel lectured. And this story is my adaptation in the moment of a story called The Velveteen Rabbit. Now, the Velveteen Rabbit, as many of you know, was a plush bunny, a stuffed bunny that was given to a little boy in England one Christmas a long, long time ago. And he was very excited to be given as a Christmas present. But his feelings were hurt almost immediately because there were all these fancier younger toys, more modern, clockwork, mechanical. So the little boy couldn't help but be attracted to those. And the Velveteen Rabbit, he was called Velveteen because that was the material he was made out of, was stuck in a cupboard and forgotten. And he was very, very disappointed because he had really wanted to have this peak experience of being a real to a little boy. So he sat there feeling just like we do in our houses and our apartments, just really cut off, really cut off and sad. But there was this wonderful, big, saggy, stuffed horse sitting next to him on the shelf who looked like hell. And I said to the, the Velveteen Rabbit, don't be sad. Don't be sad. All these things pass. That fascination will pass. And the rabbit said, I just want to be real. I want to be real. And he thought that meant being loved by the boy. And the horse said, you know, you can become real. But I have to tell you, it takes a long time. It took me a long time. And you have to go through a lot. And that's why I look like this. He looked saggy and he looked old and he had lines. But he had been made real by life and by the love of another boy. So he told the Velveteen Rabbit, just be patient. Be patient because these conditions sitting here in your house or your apartment are actually leading to something. When you just keep coming back to yourself, noticing your state, noticing what you most deeply wish for. So soon enough, the, the boy slept every night with a certain stuffed animal and it was misplaced. So the nanny, he lived in England, he had a nanny, the whole English thing, grabbed the rabbit and stuck him into bed with the little boy who very quickly became attached to him and began to treat him like he was real. And he took this bunny everywhere on picnics and out in the yard. And 
the Velveteen Rabbit was so happy because this experience of love from the boy was making him feel real. Except one day he was sitting there in, in the forest in a picnic in a clearing and some real rabbits came up and, and they were very curious about him. Like, do you want to hop? with us? Do you want to play with us? And, and the Velveteen Rabbit was very embarrassed because he didn't actually have hind legs. It was all just one stuffed piece. And he tried to conceal this fact. But one of the real rabbits got close enough to sniff him and check him out and got really freaked out, saying, this isn't a real rabbit. And off they ran. So this was a little bit haunting to the Velveteen Rabbit because he was getting his sense of being real from this one person, but not from the world, not from his depths. So he forgot about it until the little boy got very, very sick with scarlet fever, which comes from strep throat when it's not treated, apparently. And he was sick for a really long time. And he clung to the rabbit. And the rabbit was so happy to be a comfort until he got better. And the doctor wanted him to go to the seaside. And the rabbit thought, yay, a trip. No. Everything in his room was to be burned. This was how you disinfected a space. So all the toys, including the rabbit, were put in a sack and taken to the garden. And the next morning, the gardener was to build a big bonfire and burn them all. And the little boy went off to the seaside. And so the Velveteen Rabbit said, you can imagine how he would feel. He lived his entire life depending on being made real by this little boy. And now what? So he started to cry. He started to cry. This was the end. It was curtains for him. And it all felt so bleak. And with every tear that fell, a flower bloomed. And this is kind of like how astonishing it can feel to watch the seasons change, even though you're bereft, spring is coming. How could this be happening? But inside that flower, this is where the Buddhism comes in. Just like inside a lotus, the flower opened and inside was green Tara. Here I'm giving the fairy a new name, but it's uh, the same impulse. Um, a force of regeneration and healing and 
relief. That just when you think you're at the end of your hope and that your whole life has is just going to become desolation, this unexpected force appears for new life. And Green Tara says to the rabbit, you know what? This isn't the end. This is the moment when you can really become real in your own terms, in the eyes of the world. And she took the bunny into the forest where there were real rabbits and embraced him and gave him a kiss. And he became real. And he was so, it was so unexpected this feeling of freedom and this movement within and this feeling of a force of a vibrancy inside that could only be called love. That feeling of being alive and belonging to life. So he hopped around with his new friends, his kin, his sangha, and, and in came the little boy who was delighted, but looked at him curiously because there was something familiar about him. But he was so much more alive than the little boy remembered. And then off he hopped. And the thing that is beautiful about this story, which I've taken liberties with, is that it does convey that we wish so much to be real, to be seen by someone with love, to be made real. And one short moment at a time, with a practice like this, we begin to discover that we become real from the inside, that there is a force inside that feels like sensation of vibrancy and ease. That's love, love itself. And it, it, it's not a romantic um, entanglement. It's not something that depends on another. It depends on our own wish to be here. And um, as unexpected as it might seem to now quote James Baldwin or appear with the Velveteen Rabbit, or paraphrase, he, he says, freedom, that feeling of being free and alive and at ease and belonging isn't something that can be given by another. It's something that we take. And people can be as free as they want to be. And I would suggest that that taking isn't, it's a moment of just being here, taking an inner seat, an inner stand, 
and saying to ourselves, I wish to be. I want to be here. I want to know what it's like to be really alive and free. I want to be real. So let's take our seat and then we can talk. So we take a comfortable seat. And notice how it feels to take as much time as you want, just to really grant yourself the space and time to be really comfortable, to take up space. And let your back be straight. And notice that there are tensions inside your body that you can allow to relax. And maybe that's your face, maybe shoulders. Just let yourself Give your attention to your body. And see that this attention is just seeing, just attending, not judging. See that this attention softens you. It begins to relax you. And see that attention meeting sensation 
brings a feeling of presence. And see that when you begin to be taken by thinking, you can gently come back to the sensation of sitting here, being seen by an attention that doesn't judge. So see that there's a stillness here and that you can rest in this stillness. and see how it feels to be seen by this presence that doesn't judge and comment. Just sees.
Notice the light and warmth inside you. A light of attention. A warmth of life. Notice when you make this movement of return to the body, to sensation, you open to this presence, this attention, that connects you to life. When you get lost in thought, just come back and let go. Sink into sensation.
notice that you're not alone, but in intimate exchange with life, with air, with impressions, with sensation and perception. Part of life. And see how it feels to be seen by an attention that accepts everything just as it is. That welcome you to be you.
home to presence and find ease, opening. and belonging. Just rest in awareness and notice that you feel connected to the other people here and to life.
yourself take root in your life. And open like a flower. Thank you for your attention, for your practice. And if you have questions or observations about your practice, we'd be happy to hear them. And notice that even when you speak, it can be a way to um, listen to yourself to see how you are, to touch in a little deeper. And you should wave your human hand if you have a question, not your little cartoon hand. I'm going to wave my human hand. OK, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this is more of an observation. And you're so right to say. Um, that it helps to say things out loud. Because when you're telling the story so charmingly and you used the, the phrase that the skin horse said to the Velveteen Rabbit, 
you just have to be patient. And I immediately went to that line from the Rilke poem. Um, you have to be, pa be patient with all that is unresolved in your heart. Because I've been going through this like kind of just this little loop the other day, I was just thinking, why do I need so much reassurance within my own head that everything is okay, that things are just okay in this moment? And um, I was just so annoyed, even though I give myself the reassurance, but I'm like, oh, I shouldn't even need it. I should just be present all the time. And, and, I, and I was able to just kind of back up just a little bit for a minute, I guess, to say, um, well, you know, presence is a practice and there's always that chance to start over again. But I just, I love, you know, I love Rilke as much as you do. And that, that idea of just to be patient with all that's unresolved in your heart, you know, whenever he wrote that, presumably as an adult, and even though he was talking to someone younger, it had to still be a struggle for him. And just to acknowledge that it's, it is still a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he said, love the questions. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it can bring huge change. I mean, this is our practice to learn. I remember someone once said to me, you have to learn to hold the question, not answer it. Mm. Hold it, to hold it. And to begin to really see that this practice, because we can all relate to that need for reassurance and for certainty and for clarity. And, and it, it spins and it spins and it spins. And to see that the practice, what's so beautiful about it, especially in these real life conditions, is that it's not denying suffering. It doesn't deny thinking. It doesn't deny even obsessive thinking and this tortured longing for certainty. But it's this capacity to come back to, I, you know, sensation, but also at moments to this radiance inside, this moment of light where you're just being with the moment, even when it contains suffering, even when you're seeing the mind spin, or you're not at peace, just the opposite. You're um, completely out of balance. And to one day, in one moment, suddenly you'll feel that open into a kind of inquiry. How interesting that I'm so tormented. How interesting that I'm upset. And to be met by that kind of curious, kind attention really does begin to soften and settle us down and open us up. So we can really begin to taste for ourselves that the search isn't out there somewhere, but right here and down we open so that when we can see anxiety open and reveal the sadness under it or the vulnerability under it, 
then we begin to, we really begin to see how this is a light to see by that accompanies us. That under that sorrow, under that sadness, there that's not the bottom floor. There's joy and freedom. And like, I just laid a big trip on you, but it's just these tiny little moments of that I know that you've seen that we all have. They feel different. They have a different taste and a different quality, don't they? Of just letting things be and being interested in ourselves just like this. I think on that note, I had a little moment myself. During my sit, I must have nodded off. And then I always, whenever that happens, I always have this feeling of like, oh, you know, I was supposed to be meditating, but I, I was sleeping. And then I just had this moment of like, oh, that's, that's all part of it. You know, whether you, we want to call it like the hindrance called drowsiness or just, I just had a moment of like, this is, it's still part of it. You know, I had that like other bracket of like, it's still kind of contained within it. And uh, so maybe that relates a little. I was like, and then I just uh -huh. sort of was aware of that as, as the rest of the meditation went on. It's, it's true. It's, um, it, it, we have, it feels so um, like a renegade practice. But this is the there's something in us that feels so unsafe. And we have to do things correctly. And we um, can be very punishing about it. And also these forms, a lot of, we talked last week about a monastic form that you experienced that was very correct. And I've done that kind of retreat where you sit for 10 hours a day and um, you don't move. But this is a real life story. 30 years ago or more, I went to the Kali Chakra initiation led by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And uh, Childcare broke down, and my daughter was like six months old. It was in Madison Square Garden, a huge retinue of monks, and it was like wild. And it was like 12 days or something of meditation. So suddenly the babies were loose and um, covered with grape juice, and, um, and the Dalai Lama and the monks and nuns were like, bring the babies in. And it felt so bizarre. They're like, bring them in. And, um, and they're in the middle of this long 
ritual for for long life and I have this baby on my lap and the nuns on the stage and the monks are start going make sure the baby eats the yogurt and they had this like magical yogurt that's supposed to bestow health and long life and you know there's a lot going on in the Kali Chakra and I won't get into it but what was so liberating from the point of view of falling asleep, not falling asleep, being upset, not being upset, is that these babies were not still. They were crawling all over the place and making noise, and they just kept including everything. Everything is part of the practice. And make sure that the loud, squirmy baby gets this special nutrient. So it was like this beautiful living metaphor or playing out about this is a practice to include everything and not just kind of grudgingly include it, but that part of you that's suffering, your crying baby. Give that crying baby the magic yogurt, you know, the best of your attention and care. And, um, and we, and just including, I guess, so the way it would play out is we, all, we just feel so unsafe. Like, if only they knew that I'm sitting here thinking about all this rubbish but we all are, or um, you're not the only person who falls asleep. I'm here to tell you, because <laughs> I'm big brother, big sister, I can see. Um, and to include that fatigue or that dreaminess or that, that whatever is coming up, wouldn't that be amazing for if that becomes your object of attention. For real, let the baby have the focus. Just like the Dalai Lama gave the babies the best of himself. So, it can really open your practice. And, to, and you can really begin to see how interesting you are. That one of the chief reasons to, to bring this attention home is to get curious. Not in, in a rush to resolve. Don't be patient with everything that's unsolved. See, just see. Love that question, including that questionable state. Love it. And not in a clinging sense, but with warmth. With that darling, I'm here for you. That racing mind, I'm here for you. We're here to join with each other to remember the difference between seeing 
and thinking. And the power of the act of seeing itself to change and open things. I wanted to say thanks, Tracy. The, the warmth that you spoke about just now, just that moment, when we were all sitting together, I felt we were really all together. And although we're in different parts of maybe in the country, in the world, we were just all there together. And it felt good. There was a possibility. And also to be reminded, because I struggle with that too, we have the resources, we know how to practice, but forget, one forgets, you know? So it's nice to, it's good to be reminded. Thank you, I was grateful. Yeah, thank you, Dawn. Dawn's in Edinburgh. So it's, so it's not just, um, it's remarkable to remember the power and magic in this body, in your body, in your heart, in your mind, that you can sit down with, with, and we're friends now, even if we've only met by um, this form, we have something in common that makes us friends and that we can feel that connection. And it's something very real. And yeah, yeah, and warm, yeah. I really appreciated what you said about the Velveteen Rabbit because um, I never would have thought it before until it happened to me that I was when I was part of a corporate reshuffle and I was um, the main designer for a part of Maiden Forum for over 20 years. And then I lost sort of my identity and then I felt really lost and I still feel kind of, you know, I'm trying to get over not being there anymore, but just trying to find a new job. And, um, and I've worked freelance and stuff, but you know, because of COVID that's not around, but I have a lot of anxiety around, you know, what the future will bring, but it really touched me. And I really appreciate that story because, you know, it can be a rebirth, something new coming. Yeah. Thank you. Cause we all know how it feels to be the toy in the cupboard and full of anxiety that all the new toys and the fancy toys and the streamline, whatever, are there gonna get picked and we're like these old toys. And it's exact that what's key is to be patient. As Mary Ellen said, quoting Milka, be patient with the state and very, very kind and to notice in the simplest way, this is how it feels to be stripped of an identity, this feeling of something taken away, or this is how it feels to, to feel like you're being treated very coldly, and on and on and on. And like 
what would it be like if all of those experiences could be held with great kindness and love? And the the a few weeks ago I was it I was talking about hope that it occurred to me that there's a kind of hope that isn't insisting on a certain outcome. It's just a little bit of openness to possibility that something unexpected can appear. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep taking care, keep bringing the attention back to myself with that little bit of openness that something unexpected may appear and that it's this can lead to this thing that it feels so awful, just like the Velveteen Bunny when he was going to be burned. I can't make light of that. Put out in the trash. And that proved to be the beginning of something good. Really, really good. And real. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as we come to close, it's like, I'm not sweet talking you. I'm not saying there isn't suffering and great suffering sometimes. But what I'm here to remind you of is that when you make this movement of return, of seeing, this willingness to be with what's unsolved, unresolved, that at moments, for short moments, you will see and experience inside you a radiance, a light of attention and a vibrancy that you never could have thought of that's yours. And your precious life. So let's close for tonight. And if you want, you can put two hands together your heart space, um, joining with even ancient people who engaged in this practice. And we remember that we don't do this practice just for ourselves, but for the benefit of all of life, all beings. May all beings everywhere be safe and protected from danger. May all beings everywhere be as well as they can be given their conditions. May they be at ease. And may they know how it feels 
to be completely free. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.